Welcome back, everyone, to the Fantasy Baseball Buds podcast. It is May 23rd. We had a really big weekend in baseball, a really big week. I am your host, Matt Morris, joined as always with my co-host and best friend, Richie Franz. Richie, what is up, bud? I am just astonished on how you pulled out a win this week. You were <laughs> down by a lot, and you pulled it off. I uh, congratulate you, but I am amazed currently. Yeah, it was stressful. Other than that, I'm doing great. Yeah, it's stressful. Uh, you got the pleasure of kind of being away from the fantasy baseball world today. Uh, you had some errands to run, some family things. I, on the other hand, was completely stressed out on the couch all day. I had the iPad, the laptop, the PlayStation, and the phone all linked into like five different games. <laughs> Meanwhile, we have our text thread through the fantasy baseball league kind of blowing up with the team I was facing talking shit. Richie, tell the listener kind of uh, what trans what translated in the in the group chat and like why they lost. Well, it, it first started with them dropping Anthony Rizzo earlier this week for Austin Riley, and I personally made it a big stink out of it that they dropped Anthony Rizzo, arguably a top one hundred hitter. And so today it started out with Austin Riley hitting two home runs today. He's on fire. And they say, see, we got to win without um, Anthony Rizzo. So how does that sound? And I responded saying, oh, well, you pissed off the fantasy gods and karma is going to come and bite you in the ass. I think at the time they sent that, they had like a 30, 40 point lead on you. Am I correct in that? Yeah, they everything was streaming right for them. They had Casey Myers, who pitched outstanding today, seven innings in line for the win. I had Tyone in line for the win. Um, at that point, Chapman was, I think we were in the eighth inning, so I was hoping that Loisica could get the game to Chapman. And I, I'm looking at things like it's going to take a miracle. But yeah, and then from there, Michael Fulmer blew a save, which costed Casey Mize um, the win. And then Chapman gave up a run, but Judge came back, got the win for Chapman, and got you some extra points on top of that. And then uh, Darvish did what Darvish does best, and I don't think he gave up any runs, five strikeouts over seven innings, and got you a quality start and a win. Yeah, Darvish did give up one run today, and it wasn't anything huge. Darvish, in general, this season has been really impressive. I think he's got to be up there kind of pushing that top five now. He is so consistent. But enough about our matchups. Richie, you ended up winning by, I think, what, 80 points? uh last i checked i was pushing 100 okay yeah another but i was playing the worst team in the league so yes it's another walk in the park week for you huh they're not always like that but i have (laughs) been getting lucky i've been getting lucky so i'll take i'll ride the wave let's move on we're gonna do injury updates and at this point it kind of seems monotonous every week we have more injuries we have more il stints kicking off this week is pete alonzo he is on the IL with a sprained hand, expected back 529. We have the opportunity in the meantime to maybe see a little bit more Dom Smith playing time. Dom, of course, has not been having a fantastic season, has not been living up to expectations, but his underlying numbers are pretty strong. So maybe a little more playing time at a position he's comfortable with, taking him out of the outfield might give him a little bit of a spark. We'll have to see. Kenta Maeda also on the IL with a groin strain. Maybe the reason he's been struggling. We're going to kind of have to see when he comes back. Fran Mil Reyes is also on the IL with an abdominal strain. Our boy Brian Hayes went one for two with a single in AAA in a rehab start. Nice to see him working his way back from that wrist injury. 
Kevin Kiermeyer with a possible day-to-day. Hasn't been put on the IL yet, but he's injured, like always. Still waiting on Franco and Brujan. Brujan obviously playing in the outfield. Might get the call if Kiermeyer hits the IL. Brujan is on the 40-man roster, so that's something really interesting to keep an eye on. Bellinger for the Dodgers, expected to return in seven to eight days. Calvin Biggio is on the IL as well with a shin ligament sprain, something you don't often see. I guess those shin splints have really caught up to him. Manny Machado dealing with tightness in his right shoulder. JT Realmuto on the IL with a wrist bone bruise. Starling Marte started to take batting practice. Timeline should be back by June. Jacob deGrom, after his three-inning, eight-strikeout performance, should be back this coming week. And Steven Strasburg is back from the IL. Richie, first question, how many more IL stints for Strasburg, and what do you think of these injuries? Uh, for Strasburg, I put the over-under one and a half. <laughs> he's, he's due for at least one more, probably two, um, if we're being realistic. The other thing that stuck out to me is Kevin Kiermeyer? He just got off of the IL like last week, and now he not saying he's going back on it, but that's just something to keep in mind. But with the Rays, they're always a defensive team first. I feel like they care about somebody who's got the speed and can make the catches, not a lot of errors, rather than the offensive potential that Franco and uh, Bruhan can deliver. I'm excited to see uh, Brian Hayes back. I've been waiting since last year to see him, so that's something I'm looking forward to. I'm going to have to figure out uh, who I'm dropping to free up some space. Um, but other than that, it was exciting to watch some highlights of Jacob deGrom touching 102 in the minor league have start. I think it was low A or high A. And um, the team's Twitter actually um, sent out a, a tweet saying, please send help. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I thought that was quite comical. It's not really fair for these, you know, high A, low A hitters to go up against Jacob DeGrom, the best pitcher in baseball. Um, always kind of comical to see and kind of fun for these young guys to see what the next level at its absolute peak, at its mountaintop is. Uh, moving on, we've got some news and notes this week. Richie's going to go ahead and kind of touch on those. But first, I did want to mention we have the Willie Adamas trade. Big trade for the Brewers, I think. He actually had a base hit today and drove in two runs. This is, you know, another shortstop that's glove first. Offense is supposed to develop but hasn't developed. Richie, what do you think the fantasy implications of the Adamas trade is? And then obviously the Rays get two big-time relievers coming into their bullpen. Fire Eisen did get the save this weekend. Um, What do you think? Yeah, for Willie Adamas, I think he will be a great defensive addition for the Brewers. Um, I think he can play a little bit of shortstop, maybe be a little a bit of an upgrade to Luis Urias, but I view them very similar. I did not like the trade as a Brewers fan because I was very high on Fireyes and, and Rasmussen. Rasmussen easily touching 100 miles an hour. He just needed to control his secondary pitches. And as you said, Fireyes um, got the save today. I have him in one of my saves and holds leagues. And he was lights out. I don't think he gave up a single run in his first 12 or 13 appearances with the Brewers. And right before the trade, I think, was the first time he gave up runs in, like, back-to-back outings. So I think long-term, this is definitely a plus win for the Rays, as well as clearing up space to bring up their minor league players who we've been talking about on and off this podcast on a daily basis. Well, and Richards came in from Milwaukee today and had two nice innings. I think he's a piece that's kind of being forgotten about in this trade. He was moved from Miami to Tampa 
for Jesus Sanchez, who you've been touting this past week. Didn't really perform in a position the Rays had kind of wanted him to, fell out of favor, wasn't in the rotation like he was in Miami. I look for him to actually be the bigger piece in this trade, but this isn't a blockbuster, right? This isn't anything that's going to change any fantasy formats. What other news and notes do you have from this week? Yeah, my boy Logan Gilbert um, got called up last week. He had his second start against the Detroit Tigers. He went two and two-thirds innings, gave up four hits, three in runs, two walks, and two strikeouts. His ERA is now up to 9.45 after these two starts. And it's discouraging to see because he was never going to be a high-ceiling, high-strikeout type of guy, but he was touted as somebody who would have that control and command and paint the corners and figure out where he needs to go. So those two walks in those two and two-thirds innings is concerning. I actually had to drop him in our league, which is the Dynasty Keeper setup, and I dropped him for Eric Hosmer because I need a replacement for Pete Alonzo. So ideally I didn't want to do that, but it was something that needed to be done. Other than that, Harper is currently in a slump 0 for 16 with 10 strikeouts over his past four games. I did not see what he did today, though. So the the concern here is, does he still have that wrist injury? Is he still trying to fight through it? I know there was one season a few years ago where he admitted he was playing through an injury the whole year, and that was reason why he had a down year. What are your first initial thoughts on those two news and uh, notes before I move on to the others? Yeah, I think Gilbert's a little bit of a ways away, and I had said that to you before his call-up and after his first start. He might be trying to overthrow a little bit. He might be trying to compensate now that he's facing big league hitters. It's a different ball game. You're not facing double A AA and triple A hitters anymore. You're facing the cream of the crop. And I think he's just struggling with those growing pains. I fully expect for him two, three years down the road to be a great number two starter in that Seattle rotation, maybe an ace in that rotation. We're going to have to give him time. We're going to have to be patient, right? He's going to have an innings cap. I wouldn't be surprised if he continues to struggle for them maybe to send him back down and then bring him up in maybe August. As the manager had said, they want him to be ready and fresh later in the season. So these struggles aren't worst case scenario. Harper was not in the lineup today. I do think there's an injury there. I think you need to put him on the shelf. I think Philly is trying to play him though because they have Real Muto out. And if you take Harper and Real Muto out of that lineup, you have a very, very, very average lineup. So I think they're just trying to compete right now, and I fully expect Harper to perform at a high level in July. I think my preseason MVP talk of him, though, is completely out the window unless we see a massive second half. And I agree with that. And coming back from a wrist injury, unless you give it time and let it heal all the way, that's going to be hard because every time you make contact, it's going to vibrate through your hands to your wrist. So that's something that they're always going to have in the back of their head regardless of if they think it or not. But moving along, Adolis Garcia had two more home runs yesterday. His batting average is now up to 295. He has 14 home runs, 37 RBIs, and 23 runs. As we mentioned a little bit earlier, Austin Riley is currently on fire. It's a matter of, is he streaky or is this him actually breaking out? And uh, what do you think about those two, Matt? Well, Garcia in general, what a fantastic story. You know, older older player, came over from Cuba when he was 24. The news this week that he was willing to work with his hitting coach on changing his approach with the expectation that the league is going to change the way they pitch to him. 
throwing him more breaking balls, more on the outside part of the plate, and especially lone away, was incredible to hear. I love that he's willing and understanding that the approach needs to change. And honestly, seeing this weekend, this guy might be the real deal. He might be a real big league hitter that can solidify that outfield. Now, being 28 or 29, I don't expect him to have more than, say, a a three- to four-year window of production. But a great story. You know, one of the waiver guys that you could have grabbed this year and had immense value, Jesse Winker's another. Uh, But again, we've said this time and time again. Waiver wire outfielders can outperform first, second, and third round hitters for periods of time in the season. And that is why it is always important to be mindful of picking these guys up. I think with Garcia, if you've gotten the production out of him now, look to trade him if you can. He might have another month of great production. I do expect to see him drop that average down to the 260s. And if he's lucky, he might finish the season with 30 home runs. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny you bring that up because at the time I picked up Jesse Winker, I was teetering between picking up Garcia and Winker. And I have that emotional attachment to Winker because of last year. So far, it's panning out for me. But I watched part of the Rangers game today and they had a little segment on Garcia and they showed a little spray chart of every single home run he's hit this year. And it was for the most part scattered on the inside, outside, lower half of the the batter's box. There was a couple that were on the upper half, but what was interesting was they showed the different types of pitches that he's hit a home run off of, and there was fastball, slider, knuckle curve, changeup, curveball. He's hit a home run on every single different type of pitch, so it makes you believe that the power is real. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do think the power is real. As far as Austin Riley, kind of just to wrap his uh, conversation up, I don't think it's a breakout. I think it's a hot stretch. He didn't have a home run coming into May, if I remember correctly. So he's definitely broken out in the power production. But from an average perspective, his strikeouts are high. I expect the average to fall. I expect him to slump. And if you remember his rookie season, he kind of came out hot as well and then completely fell off the cliff. I think Austin Riley now having some more big league service time is kind of prone to these hot and cold stretches. I do think he's a serviceable third baseman when he's hot. When he's cold, he's also unrosterable. And we see that in certain leagues. He's getting dropped, picked up, right? Teams just are giving up on him. Right now, he's hot. I think if you've got him, toss him in your lineup. As soon as you start to see those strikeouts continue to climb, the hits decrease, you go ahead and drop him. Yeah, and I fell suspect to that as well. At the end of April, when he was on a little mini uh, toward pace, I picked him up. And I actually started him while Anthony Rendon was out, and he continued to go like one for 24 for the whole week and then ended up dropping him so that was frustrating so you pick him up on his hot streaks and then he immediately goes cold if you have him i would immediately shop him and get anything you can if it's a top 15 third baseman that you're trying to trade him for i would take anything that's top 15 at any position at this point yeah i fully agree uh last little bit of news i wanted to mention we did have fernando tatis return this weekend He played in a four-game stretch coming back from the COVID list and absolutely tore the cover off the ball. In our dynasty format, he had 53 points in four days. He had two home runs today, including a grand slam. His first shot of the day was an absolute monster shot. Fernando Tatis, again, proving to be in the same category as Acuna. He is truly incredible. He was not started in our league because of that COVID scare, which cost the team the week they lost because... Tatis was not in their lineup. Richie, Tatis, what do you expect kind of moving forward now that he's through this COVID stretch? 
he is the face of baseball. He's just a fun guy to watch. Um, I watched a highlight of him rounding second, going to third, and the there's a play at the plate for the runner in front of him, and it goes through the catcher catcher's legs, and he just continues and he slides into home with ease. He's just a fun <laughs> guy to watch, and it's always exciting. I find myself watching a lot of Padres games these days. Yeah, I wish I could watch a lot of Padres games. You know, I only have like eight teams blocked out in the Las Vegas market. It's fantastic. But yeah, going back four four days and you have four home runs with 12 RBIs. That's just insane. Yeah, he would probably win player of the week if we didn't have some other crazy statistical happenings. I think Winker might be able to pull out player of the week this week in the NL. I think you said he had six home runs that, this week. Is that correct? I believe so. Otherwise, the other one I was thinking of is Miguel Sano. He was absolutely on fire. I think he had five or six home runs this week as well. Six home runs, seven RBIs, and eight runs for Jesse Winker. Yeah, it's really incredible week for Winker. All right, moving along from news of the week, kind of touched on all of the topics we wanted to touch on. We are going to talk about the new ball. We haven't really touched on this since before the regular season started. We're seeing a lot of no-hitters. Pitchers are absolutely dominating this season. Richie wants to go ahead and kind of kick us off with a little bit of kind of his opinion on how it's affecting baseball, as well as just some general knowledge that he has. So Richie, why don't you go ahead? Yeah, I truly don't know if it's a a thing between the baseball or if it's the teams that are getting no hit against. If we're looking at there's six no hitters, seven if you include Madison Bumgarner, seven inning stretch against the Braves, but two of them came against the Mariners, two against the Rangers, and two against the Indians. So you're telling me that six of these no-hitters are against three teams. That shows me more of the hitters on those teams as opposed to the pitchers that are actually throwing them. I know there were some statistics thrown by the CBS guys that in April the league average was down, the BABIP was down, but in May it's starting to creep back up and it's getting closer to the norms. I do know that um, there's less drag on the ball, but I believe it's bouncier if I'm correct. So I think it's a matter of those teams and not so much the ball. What are your thoughts, Matt? I think this is a situation where we have kind of everything kind of cultivating to a head. Uh, definitely the ball has changed. You know, there are rumors out there that this is the new dead ball era, but as you said, hitting is starting to climb itself back into a league average position. And we also have the weather warming up. So I think we're going to see more offense as that continues. But this is a combination. The ball has changed. Also, the hitter's approach has changed. Hitters are no longer trying to play baseball. They're trying to play home run derby. From an analytics perspective, the teams would rather have their players on a 1-2 count still swing for the fence than shorten up and get a base hit. Now, yes, I'm speaking in broad terms, but that isn't all the teams. That's not the Rays. It's not the Brewers. But it's a lot of teams these days. And what we want to see happen is kind of that transition and that pivot back to old baseball, more of a small ball approach. I really do think that these teams, the Indians, the Rangers, and the Mariners have had some really bad luck. They're also not very good lineups. Outside of Garcia in that Rangers lineup, you don't have a whole lot of talent. Willie Calhoun finally came back, so there's another bat. But it's easy to see them at least getting no hit once. Indians, same thing, right? Outside of Jose Ramirez and Reyes, you don't have a lot of talent a lot of swing and miss potential. And then the Mariners, you're really a ragtag group. Now that Jared Kelnick is up, I do not expect them to to get no hit a third time. Kelnick almost broke up that no hitter this past week, but it was a line shot, went right to the second baseman. So I think the big issue with these teams is lack of performance, lack of talent in their lineups, 
and we'll have to see. Maybe the ball is causing a little bit more drag. Maybe these sliders and these curveballs and these fastballs are harder to hit. I don't think we have enough data yet, but I do think that if you haven't made the decision to go towards a pitching approach to win your championship, you're making a huge mistake. The other thing I want to note, too, is that there's been some reports of over the league, just all these pitchers having higher spin rates and higher speeds on their pitches. If we look at just Shane Bieber on his slider, he's having more walks because his slider's up two miles per hour and up 200 RPMs, and he's not controlling it as much as he used to. Dylan Bundy, whose his fastball has been progressively going down for the past three years, all of a sudden is now up two miles an hour. So I'm wondering if that has something to do with the seams and where they lie this year compared to previous years. And the other thing that's not really being talked about is substances being used by these pitchers, whether they're illegal or legal. There's been talk about the league creating a substance for all pitchers to use. So that could play a role as well. Yeah, and we've seen a lot of that on TikTok. A lot of the players are kind of being brought out and shown as they you know, go to their club for their substance. Some of them even put it on the inside of their jersey, and as they go to like start their motion, they kind of like grab their shirt and kind of adjust it, getting that substance on their hand. I just think it's the fact that they lowered the weight of the ball. It's something like two grams that they lowered the weight of the ball. Now, if you're going to lower the weight of a baseball, you have guys that are trained to already throw hard. They're going to throw it harder. So with the Shane Bieber slider, I think that's kind of to the point that you mentioned. It's, it's just the effect of this new ball. Again, we don't know, have enough data. We're going to have to see more numbers. The substances, it sounds like Major League Baseball has no desire to crack down on it, which is fine with me, then make a universal substance as they had tried to do this offseason. So kind of moving along, Richie, we have a fun little game we're going to do here. We want to kind of take a guess at this possible week's no hitters, something that you had kind of drawn up for us in our outline. So I want you to go ahead and kick it off. I have a few names I'm going to add. But why don't you tell me and tell our listener who your guess is for a no-hitter this week? Yeah, so this is something I kind of threw together. Since six of the no-hitter, well, all six of the no-hitters are against these three teams, I uh, drew up a little bit of who their matchups are for this week. So it gets a little tough at the end because the Mariners actually play the Rangers. So it's going to be a little hard. But So on Monday, we have Spencer Turnbull who also had a no-hitter last week against the Indians, Frankie Montas against the Mariners, Scooble against the Indians, Heaney against the Rangers, Chris Irvin against the Mariners, James Capriallen against the Mariners, Griffin Canning against the Rangers, Jose Urania against the Indians. Out of those, I don't really see anybody conducting a no-hitter. I don't think any of them have, other than Spencer Turnbull, the endurance to go that long but one i do like near the end is matthew boyd against cleveland indians and the reason why i say that is matthew boyd's just that that type of pitcher who's not really rostered much on teams he's more of a slider off speed kind of guy doesn't have the greatest fastball but for some reason that's the type of pitcher who always gets a no hitter so i'm gonna go with matthew boyd against the indians I'm going to quickly list off some of the other ones for the rest of the week against these. Kyle Gibson versus Chris Flexen. Hunjin Ryu against the Indians. Jordan Lyles versus uh, Sheffield. Ross Stripling against the Indians. Fulton Nevich versus Yusei Kikuchi. Steven Matz against the Indians. 
any of those intrigue you, Matt, or is there a different pitcher that you're targeting against somebody else? So I wanted to steer away from these matchups a little bit since you had brought them to the table. Um, I think it's great work. I, I definitely think Turnbull is not going to have the endurance, as you had said, coming off a no-hitter. He'll probably make it through five or six and get pulled because in his no-hitter, he was tired, right? We joked about that the next day, that it looked like he was trying to stretch out his arm and his shoulder. But I have two others, kind of just so maybe we do this on a weekly basis or, or maybe we do it you know, here and there. I actually have Kevin Gosman against Arizona on Tuesday. I think this is a great matchup for Gosman. Arizona has a lot of swing and miss in their bats. They just got swept by Colorado. Also, we have Aaron Nola, who has not been performing to the level that we expect. You roster him and start him, obviously. But Aaron Nola, Aaron Nola in particular goes from a few stretch of these games where he's getting a little bit roughed up, not pitching to his exact performance level, to you know eight innings, nine innings shutout, two hit ball. We've seen it in the past three years he can do this. He plays the Marlins on Wednesday. I think the best matchup this week for a no-hitter is Aaron Nola. What are your thoughts? Well, if we want Aaron Nola to have a no-hitter, I should bench him because that's when it's going to happen. <laughs> this is true, yes. <laughs> um, I don't know if I feel as confident in Aaron Nola. I mean, the Marlins are a lesser team, but I do like the Kevin Gosman against the Arizona Diamondbacks. They're a little roughed up. Cattell Marte just got, came back off the IL, but he's kind of slumping in his own right. Um, so I kind of like that. Kevin Gosman's been playing lights out. Yeah, two, I mean, two matchups, right? We don't know. Uh, the fact that Spencer Turnbull was one of the guys to throw a no-hitter is incredible to me, right? He he hasn't showcased that kind of stuff through the years. Wade Miley as well. Never would have thought that Wade Miley would go out and throw a no-hitter. So maybe the next no-hitter is another guy that we just don't see him coming and is also on the waiver wire. Again, we're going to have to just kind of wait and see because another one is absolutely going to happen this season. Oh, yeah, I think the record in a year is seven, isn't it? Seven or eight. Yeah, I, I did a little segment on it this week uh, for my other podcast, and we're going to blow past that. And it's Absolutely. exciting. It's exciting. I, I love pitching, so I, I enjoy that kind of baseball. I'm all for it as well. Richie, it is prospect time, kind of our favorite part of this uh, podcast, part of our research. We really enjoy the young guys. I want you to go ahead and kick it off. We'll kind of share this segment here. I want you to go ahead and give us some of your, your favorite slash highest performers from AAA in this past week slash month. Who are the guys that you want to talk about? Yeah, so I think we have to start with Taylor Walls since he was the one that was promoted after Willie Adamas got traded. Obviously, everybody thought it was the move to make Wander Franco their shortstop. Um, however, Taylor Walls, I saw earlier in the week, he made an outstanding defensive play, diving, and then off of his back foot, makes a throw to first base, gets the guy out. I think that's what caught the eye of the Tampa Bay Rays, as I just had mentioned. They're all about defense and preventing runs, and he is somebody who has those skills. He was batting 327 with two home runs, 11 runs, 12 RBIs, and he had a good walk-to-strikeout ratio, 13 walks to 18 strikeouts. MLB debut. He went two for four with two doubles, a run, and a strikeout. So he's looking okay. Um, so while we're talking about the Rays, we might as well move to Wander Franco. He's batting 269 with three home runs, 12 runs, 10 RBIs with a 6 to 11 walk to strikeout ratio. And then Vidal Brujan hit another home run and is up to seven now. He's batting 338 
16 runs, 17 RBIs, 10 walks, and 13 strikeouts. But the thing is, he also has seven stolen bases, so he's got the power-speed combo working for him. And then another guy I want to highlight who's kind of flying under the radar a little bit is Darian Nunez. He's a starting pitcher for the Dodgers out of AAA, 28 years old, signed out of Cuba in, I believe, 2017. He started the year out in AA, went one innings, three strikeouts, no earned runs. Then he gets promoted to AAA, and he's currently got 10.2 innings pitched with a .84 ERA, .66 whip with 16 strikeouts to four walks. This is a guy who's might crack um, the Dodgers MLB debut, uh, roster, but I'm not seeing it. They're waiting for Tony Gonsolin to come back, but somebody to keep an eye on. Um, you know, you always hear about these people out of the Cuba Dominican Republic. They get signed and then they just explode. I'll, I won't lie, Ronald Acuna, before he started getting hot in the minors, I didn't even know about him coming out of, was it Cuba or Dominican Republic? Either one. Um, international prospect and I feel like you don't really hear the hype as much from them those are some guys out of AAA that I wanted to touch on I'll let you talk about some guys and then uh, let's move down to trip or move down to double A and low A so starting with a former Tampa Bay prospect we kind of alliterated with him earlier Jesus Sanchez currently batting 467 seven home runs 13 runs 20 RBIs, four walks to 13 strikeouts. So there's a little bit of a concern with maybe his vision and his discipline. In that Miami outfield, you have a lot of opportunity. I think it's only a matter of time until Sanchez comes up. It may be the time that you see this true youth movement and he can explode out of the gates. I think if you're lacking an outfielder right now, he's maybe a guy that you could pick up with the hopes that in a few weeks he comes up. Kind of sitting in this outfield position if you're lacking an outfielder. Jaron Duran hit a couple more home runs this week. He's batting 299. He's 24 years old, so he is ready to kind of come up to the majors. He's had that minor league experience. Going back to the Rays, again, a plethora of talent. They have Josh Lau batting 300 with five home runs. Now, this is Nate Lau's brother, younger brother, drafted in the same draft, but Josh was actually their first-round pick. Not really sure where the Rays expect to play him. The only player that they could maybe move to the bench and make a fourth outfielder is Manuel Margot. But again, as Richie had said, Fidel Brujan has outfield experience. I think they would look to give him that starting job first. Jeter Downs, kind of staying with the Boston Red Sox organization, is playing at AAA with Jaron Duran as well. He had two home runs in two days this week, is only batting 250. And then finally, to kind of cap it off, we have Jackson Cower. For the Kansas City Royals, he has a 1.25 ERA, a 1.02 whip, 32 strikeouts in 21 innings. He is 24, so again, back to that age, he has a little bit more of a pedigree. Out of all of those guys we just spoke about, Richie, who is the most exciting to you, and who do you expect to get a starting job and to be fantasy relevant? The most exciting has got to be Jesus Sanchez hitting 467. Are you kidding me? The only thing, <laughs> I think the he's doing only okay. Thing, he's doing okay. I think the only thing stopping him from coming up is that walk-to-strikeout ratio, four walks at 13 Ks. That makes me think there's some holes in his swing, um, regardless of what his average is. Jaron Duran, you know, this is a guy who didn't have much power but developed it over the alternate training site. Um, Jackson Coar, it's another first-round pick out of Kansas City. I think he's going to be another guy that's just like Chris Bubich, Daniel Lynch. You know, they're going to come up, 
they do great in the minors, but then once they get to the MLB level, they're just average. I don't think there's anything different with this guy. I expect the same. I think they're getting brought up too fast, and I think they just need a little bit of seasoning down in the AAA. Uh, I'd like to see a whole season out of core in uh, the minors, and I believe that's probably what Kansas City will do. They might bring him up for a few starts, but I don't see it. The one person you didn't mention is your boy, Alex Manoa. He's still on fire, 18 innings, 27 strikeouts, and only two walks, .5 ERA with a .56 whip. He's the guy who I'm actually the most excited about. I think he's legit. He's the real deal. It reminds me of Noah Syndergaard the year that he came up. I, I don't know if he'll be as great as that, but I think uh, that's the person I'm most excited about. Yeah, and some fun news with that. They've actually lined him in Ross Stripling's starts up. So I think if we see Ross Stripling falter this week, Manoa might get the call. It, it might be time. He may get one or two more starts in the minor leagues. But they were just handled pretty well. That being the Blue Jays were handled well by the Rays this weekend. They can't continue to lose games because of their starting pitching. And when you have a guy like Manoa in the minor leagues who is better than Ross Stripling, I don't think there's any doubt to that. You can't just throw away wins. It's time to call him up. It's time to see if this translates to the big league level. Well, you know it already will translate. He was killing it in spring training before they sent him back. The one we did forget to mention is Joe Adele. He's got three home runs in three days. His batting average is still 246, and he's still striking out way too much. 26 strikeouts to six walks. I don't think he's ready for the major leagues. They're just going to throw him off-speed stuff, and he's going to strike out too much. But they do have a hole with Mike Trout out. Maybe we see Brandon Marsh. I still think they're just going to stick it out with Taylor Ward. Yeah, it, and that team in general, is it's just pretty sad. I was listening to the last three innings of the game today. They had to call upon Otani to pinch hit, and he went up against a lefty. Just missed it. His swing was beautiful. He didn't put any air under the ball. It would have been a grand slam. But that team is Otani now. And with Trout out six to eight weeks, you know, we've joked on last podcast about, you know, my kind of prediction that Trout would be out for the year. And it wasn't really bold. This is Trout now. He gets hurt every year. He has two to three IL appearances. And maybe one of them's two months. And it's sad, but Adele and Marsh are going to get their opportunity and they're going to get the opportunity to show that they can stick this time. Adele, again, the strikeouts, my God, 26. <laughs> it's just he hasn't figured it out yet. And I'm kind of concerned he won't ever figure it out. Kind of similar to Lewis Brinson, who the Rangers traded, the Brewers traded, is now completely a waste of space on that Marlins team. But great performances in AAA. We're seeing a lot of young players right now playing at a high level. I think it's time we transition to AA. What do you think? Yeah, so one of the guys that sticks out is the Kansas City Royals, Nick Prado, 2017 first round, overall 14th pick. He's currently batting 283 with six home runs, 10 runs, 11 RBIs in only 15 games. Why he sticks out is he had three home runs on Friday, so half of them were on that day. I watched some highlights, and his swing just looks beautiful. Um, somebody to keep in mind, he probably won't get called up. They have Carlos Santana. So somebody uh, to keep in mind, maybe in a year or two, maybe he keeps developing, gets a triple-A this year. And then if we want to move on to single-A, Spencer Torkelson hit his first home run of the season yesterday. He was the 2020 first overall draft pick for the Detroit Tigers. 
However, he started off slow. He's got a 224 average, but his walk to strikeout ratio is 14 to 18. So he's got good eye discipline at the plate. So I think he'll have a smooth transition here. He's just got to get going and maybe settle the nerves a little bit. And then additionally, James Proctor, starting pitcher for the Cincinnati Reds, he went five innings, 11 strikeouts, and was part of a no-hitter. Over the course of the season, he's got 17 innings pitched with 27 strikeouts, six walks, one run, 0.53 ERA, 0.82 whip, and a 143 average for batters against. This is somebody we won't see for a few years, but it's exciting to see that there is potential down there in the lower affiliates. Yeah, and we have a couple other double errors I wanted to touch on. Hunter Green, 32 strikeouts through 21 and one-third. Again, we've talked at length about him. He's showcasing that he can handle double A, that amazing 100-mile-an-hour fastball. We'll see if the command sticks. We'll see if he comes up in the bullpen. But the one I'm more excited about is Nick Lodolo. Another incredible performance this week, 7 and one-third, 11 strikeouts. He allowed one hit. So clearly coming out of college when he was drafted, I, th- I think he's ready for AAA. They're going to have to push him. With Le- Luis Castillo struggles, Tyler Malley struggles, it might be time maybe in July to call up Lodolo. What do you think of Lodolo and kind of his pedigree? Yeah, absolutely. This is a, a huge pitching prospect. I think he could see the major leagues, especially with the injuries. The one thing I do want to note is if there is – anywhere for the reds to have a rotational spot i think it'll be going to tj anton though this is a multi-inning reliever who goes two three innings i think they would give him a shot before lodolo so i really don't see it i did want to touch on hunter green though his strikeouts are through the roof but in his last outing yesterday he did give up five walks in the five and a third innings that he did so that is very concerning to me Shows me that he does have that strikeout potential, but he has no idea where that ball is going half the time. So I still think he's a ways away, and we're not seeing him until later this year, if not next year. Yeah, I mean, he's coming back from Tommy John still, right? Like, he needs time to really develop his repertoire, to learn command. And I I think if you want him to be a good starting pitcher in this league— you have to take this. Take a look at the Alex Reyes approach by St. Louis and say, okay, we're not going to do that. We're not going to rush you. Because if you have this arm ability and you're rushed, you never really figure it out. And Reyes is finally figuring it out after his injuries, but it's because he's in the back end of the bullpen. He's matured. He's had time to understand the game. And I think that's exactly what they need to do with Green. As far as Antone, I really like him as a pitcher. I wish he were in that rotation. He's doing great things out of the bullpen. And that's kind of my fear is that he may become so valuable in their bullpen that they just decide not to move him into a rotation spot until maybe next year. But I definitely think he's someone to keep an eye on. Definitely reminds me of Josh Hader almost, somebody who you and I personally thought were going to be changed from this multi-inning role and be developed as a starter in the future and we were super excited about and he just ended up being the closer obviously and I think we we had a a discussion off air and said TJ Antone's the future Josh Hader yeah yeah and I, I could see it because you know he has that pitch repertoire he has that pitch mix that makes him very dominant through multi innings in that bullpen and that's extremely valuable. But you also have to have a rotation, right? So if you've got guys like Lodolo ready to come up and pitch, you know you can keep Antone in that position. Two more guys I wanted to mention. Uh, these are young guys. We have another Tampa Bay Rays organizational prospect in Cole Wilcox. 
He has a 1.59 ERA. Three out of his four games, he has held his opponent scoreless, so he's definitely dominating the minors. Gunnar Henderson for the Org- for the Orioles organization, their shortstop is batting 339 with an OPS of 1.078. Henderson is a guy I really like. He's a guy that's eventually going to come up. He's going to play shortstop for that organization. He's going to be part of the Adelie Rutschman foundational core team. He's not someone we're going to look to pick up for at least a year, obviously being in low A. But he's a guy I think you guys should follow over this year, kind of see how his development works. And then Cole Wilcox is just another incredible arm in that Rays organization. All right, so that wraps up our minor league recap for this past week. We have a little fun segment we're going to start for everyone. We are going to start talking about streamers and weekly pickups. We are entering the final week in May. So as Richie has kind of mentioned in past episodes, we are running out of guys to pick up. It may be that time in the season where where we have a little bit of a pause in our waiver wire discussions. Starting off this week for streamers, it's going to start a little bit bottom of the barrel. We have Shoemaker on Monday versus Baltimore. So he's in line for a double start. But the downside is on Monday, he will be going up against John Means, who has obviously pitched out of his mind this season. His weekend performance against KC might be something that intrigues you. The Twins have been struggling, but I think if you're desperate for a two-star pitcher in a points league, Shoemaker might be a guy that intrigues you. This next one is actually my favorite streamer of the week. It's Austin Gombert for the Rockies. Monday, he faces the Mets, and this weekend, he faces Pittsburgh. The Mets are coming off a series where they did lose two out of three against the Marlins, and we know the Marlins aren't the greatest offensive team, so the Mets are sputtering a little bit. Lindor's kind of hot and cold. Alonzo's on the IL. I think Gambert could finally have his week. And then last one I want to mention is Kikuchi. He plays Monday against the A's in this weekend versus Texas. We have two more. Richie, did you want to talk about the last two? Yeah, we have Jake Arrieta. Chicago Cubs pitcher Tuesday goes up against the Pittsburgh Pirates, which is always a great matchup. And then this weekend he is facing the Reds, which is not the greatest. However, you do get him in two starts, so more of a head-to-head points type of guy. And then we have Vince Velasquez on Tuesday versus the Miami Marlins, which is always a great matchup against a lower offense. And then this week against Tampa Bay. Yeah, so those are our biggest streamers in in two-week performances this week. A couple more guys to keep an eye on. We have the Mariners. Players are going to have seven games this week, so their hitters are definitely people you want to get in your lineup. The A's and the White Sox are also playing seven games. So if you're in a head-to-head points and daily points is important, or maybe you're in a weekly lock, make sure you get your A's and White Sox in there. Dylan Cease, I look to have a bounce-back game this week. He plays Baltimore on Thursday. A big game, I think me and you, Richie, will be watching. Spencer Howard goes up against Miami. He's going to be facing Pablo Lopez. I'm interested to see if Howard, you know, might be a pickup next week, might be a guy that has a good start and gets some of that traction back. What are your thoughts as a former Spencer Howard owner? Yeah, as a former Spencer Howard owner, I'm hoping for the best for him. However, I'm a little discouraged on what he was doing in AAA. It wasn't overwhelming like... Alex Manoa is doing for somebody who's getting the call to the major leagues. I don't think it's going to translate well. I think it's going to be a lot of the same of what we're de- we saw. I'm excited to see what his fastball uh, 
velocity sits at as well as if he has any shoulder discomfort. So that's definitely a game I kind of want to watch. Yeah. And I think, you know, to our listener, Richie and I really enjoy watching baseball more than we even just love playing fantasy. And that's the, that's the game of the week for me. Like I'm going to see how he feels out there. I'm going to see how he handles his counts. I'm going to see how he handles his pitch mix. And if he shows me that he feels confident and that he's healthy, we'll have to see where he's sitting next week on that waiver wire. All right, so to wrap up our show today, we want to go positionally through the waiver wire. If you've had any injuries or if you have any underperformers and you're desperate to get some players into your lineup that are going to perform at a higher level, we wanted to go ahead and throw some names out there for you. So I'm going to go ahead and kick it off with our catcher position. Now, this player may not be available in all leagues, but he's available in our Dynasty League. He's also available in my Categories League, so I think he's a really good option. And this is a player that may perform at a high level for you the rest of the year. That's Carson Kelly at the catcher position. He will be coming back with that toe injury after his 10-day stint on the IL. Definitely a guy that you can put in your lineup and trust, especially at the catcher position. We've seen that to be a black hole for years now. So keep an eye on Kelly. Moving along to the first base position, I have a couple names for you. Miguel Sano, as we had alliterated on earlier, had a great week this week. When he's hot, he's hot. The weather's warming up, the ball's going to be flying out, and Miguel Sano is definitely one of the prodigious power hitters in this league. Along that same line, at first base, we have CJ Krohn, again, a guy playing in Colorado, big-time power. We expect a 300 average out of him playing in that field, playing in that ballpark. So if either Sano or Krohn are available in your leagues, definitely encourage you to pick them up if you need them. And finishing off, we have two second basemen before I pass it off to Richie. We have Nico Horner for the Chicago Cubs, who is back. We also have a Gavin Lux explosion this past week. It seems like Gavin Lux is finally starting to get some confidence. If either Horner or Lux are still available in your leagues, I would encourage you to go ahead and get Lux first. But Horner is definitely a substitutable option if you're looking for production out of your second baseman. Richie, go ahead and give me the shortstop, third base, and a few outfielders. Yeah, if you're struggling at third base, Josh Fuentes on ESPN is eligible at first and third base. This is a guy who I thought was going to have playing time concerns with Brennan Rodgers getting called up. However, he has been in the lineup the past two past two days. He's gone four for eight, so he appears to still be hot, somebody you can slide in. Otherwise, you got Josh Harrison, who's just Mr. Consistent, always gets one or two hits. He's not going to be anything flashy, but could be a band-aid until you find a long-term replacement. If we move on to shortstop, somebody we mentioned earlier, Nico Horner, um, as well as Willie Adamas. Um, curious to see what he does for the Brewers, you know, moving to a more hitter-friendly park. Maybe he develops some more power. He has gone two for six in his first two um, outings with the Brewers, so somebody to keep an eye on. And then if we move along to the outfield, Kyle Schwarber, if he's available in your league, he has been kind of red hot lately. He's got two home runs in the past four games as well as six hits. And Michael Taylor, Mr. Streaky, he appears to be uh, hot again. He's got two home runs and a few hits over the past few games. So somebody you can slide in. Yeah, I love those names. I only want to mention a few more for the outfield. Obviously, outfield it has a plethora of talent. We have Willie Calhoun finally back. 
mentioned that a little bit earlier in the show. If Willie Calhoun is sitting out there and maybe your third outfield or your fifth outfield position just isn't giving you the production that you want, Willie Calhoun would be a great option to slide in there. Brian Reynolds, very, very consistent player if you're looking for consistency. He's rostered in 72% of CBS leagues. So kind of check your waiver wire, see what's out there. And if there's a guy that we had mentioned that catches your eye, go ahead, pick him up. We have one last segment of the show today, though, that we want to touch on before we say goodbye. And Richie, I'm going to kind of throw this at you kind of out of the wind here. Uh, We had a trade in our league today. I want to get your raw opinion of it. We had Luis Severino being traded for my most hated major league player, (laughs) Zach Plesek. What are your thoughts in a dynasty format and moving forward? Yeah, I think it's probably a great trade for both players. I know we're both low on Zach Plesak. However, the team who acquired him doesn't have much in terms of cheap, young, talented pitchers. Now, not to say that Zach Plesak isn't talented, but he is fairly cheap at a price of $1. So he's very cheap considering that Charlie Morton won for over $50 in this type of league. And Luis Severino was, he's injury plagued. He's already got one or two years used up on his contract and he's $15. This team doesn't look like it's really making a push. Reed, who acquired him, is going to be taking that risk to see if Severino can come back and be a fraction of what he was. Um, so I think I think it's a good trade on both ends. I think Reed, who acquired Luis Severino, probably got the better end of the deal because the ceiling for Severino is much higher than Zach Plesak. I think Zach Plesak has a high floor, but he also has a cap ceiling, whereas it's the reverse for Severino. His floor could be not even playing, or his ceiling could be, you know, top five pitcher in the league if he is to what he used to be. Yeah, I fully agree. I think Reed definitely won the trade. I think that Severino, we're going to have to see him come back. He may not be a guy that you can rely on this season, but he definitely will be next year. And again, you're trading an Indians player for a Yankees player. The Yankees, as we know, have a much better lineup. They are always in contention. I don't expect the Indians to be in contention for at least two or three years. So I think if you can trade pitchers and get the pitcher on the better team with the higher ceiling, you will always win. That was a great trade. And uh, congrats to Reed. Uh, I think, you know, this was one of the ones that he won. But that is going to wrap our show for today, everyone. Thank you again for listening. Make sure you check us out on all social media platforms. Richie and I, throughout the next couple of weeks, are going to start our TikTok. So get excited for that. We're going to have a lot of news come through. Remember to follow us wherever you find your podcast. And make sure you check us out next Monday. We'll see you next time, guys. Take care.